Privacy and security. Where are the intersections and where are the differences? Hi, this is Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group, discussing this topic today with Michelle Dennedy. She's the Chief Privacy Officer with McAfee, and we're joined by Malcolm Harkins, Chief Information Security Officer with Intel. Michelle and Malcolm, thanks so much for agreeing to join me and talk about this today. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. To start with, Michelle, why don't you tell us a little bit about your particular role today at McAfee? What does it entail? Sure. So I'm the Chief Privacy Officer here at McAfee. I, I'm in, in charge of a lot of different things. So the number one thing I do is really my group is kind of the guardian of personally identifiable information. That really is the, the heart and soul of privacy. So we look after the regulatory needs, so compliance needs, for example. We do business in many countries around the world. We look after the compliance standards and the things that we need to do to meet at least meet and most of the times exceed those standards. I also look after things like process and culture. So we want to make sure everyone who works at McAfee and everyone who interacts with McAfee understands the value um, that we place upon personally identifiable information and how we go about routinely respecting that information and measuring our, our success in respecting that information and taking care of that information. So it's a role that, that rides across uh, product development, process development, contracting, and internal and external communications. And so, Malcolm, from the security side, do the same, please. Describe your role to us. Yeah, you know, my title is Chief Information Security Officer, and that vast majority of, of what I do is the information security side. But it's probably more appropriate to say Chief Information Risk Officer because pretty much anything and everything information risk, whether it be security-related for application security, data protection, but also as it relates to other risk items like business continuity disaster recovery, as well as controls and compliance for things like SOX compliance for our systems. The corporate privacy team also reports into me and heavily linked in with our legal organization for the compliance aspects. So, again, a wide range of information risk-related items. Now, what's the relationship between Intel and McAfee? Do you have independent security and privacy organizations, or at a corporate level, are you aligned? So we're aligned. Um, so we do. So I have a CISO. Uh, Brent Conran is his name, and he works closely with, with Malcolm and his gang. We, we want to make sure that we're, you know, because we're a wholly owned sub, so we are independent, but we want to make sure that we're doing things in line with the brand value and the ethics, I mean, there's nobody's brand that's better than, than Intel's brand, and we certainly wouldn't want to do anything to impact that. We also have a very consumer-facing brand um, at McAfee, and so it's really a, a constant flow of conversation between us. We can act independently, but at the same time, we also are very much aware that we're protecting the same customer at the end of the day in many cases. So what I, the question I'd like to throw out to both of you is, is, Michelle, where does your role touch security? And, Malcolm, where does your role touch privacy? And I've got to guess going into this conversation that the distinctions are far different than they used to be. Well, it's, it's interesting. So it's a continuum. I think they're different in some ways and, and getting closer and closer in others. Um, we're, we're kissing cousins is the way I look at it. So, for example, if we're doing a, a big um, deal, so we serve our customers by sending them information about the latest risks um, in the cyber world and, and that aspect of it. If I'm doing a contract with a large enterprise environment, the contracting party may ask me how I'm complying with laws around the world. I will also partner with my CISO to make sure that all of the security requirements for that customer are in place and still valid and that he's communicating 
to that customer as well. That's just one example. I think the most stark example is if you do have an incident or a suspected incident where someone has either lost a device or someone has hacked into your environment and you think that personal information has been compromised, then you're really hand-in-hand with your security partner and you have to have that relationship intact before that incident occurs. Yeah, you know, and I think they are inextricably linked. Again, from a from a definitional perspective, if you if you were to go into a dictionary, you would find that security would be defined as you know something that's you're free from risk or danger. You know, that safety perspective, that assurance of safety, and so you can't have privacy without security. But security, on the other hand, can cause privacy issues depending upon how you do it. And so that, I think, in lies the, the potential tension between them, but also the dependencies between them. Now, Malcolm, you used the word tension, and my question for the two of you is, what are some of the natural tensions that you've seen develop between security and privacy organizations? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've seen to some extent in security organizations is what I'll call the security organization or security folks are colorblind to privacy. They get the fundamentals of data protection and privacy to a large extent about data protection, but they misunderstand the nuances of what really is personal identifiable information and how they need to handle it in order to be privacy appropriate. Um, with certain information, particularly when you get into logging and monitoring and, and those type of tracking things that security professionals want to do and to some extent need to do in order to provide protection. Yeah, so it's the fascinating tension, and I think when the tension works well, it's kind of like a great sitcom, like, you know, in Bones, intuition and fact. You know, you watch these people have this great tension. The tension with privacy is really interesting. I think Malcolm nails it. I, I think there is a certain colorblindness to it or a belief that, security trumps privacy. It's so much more tangible. What can I do? You know, are there guns and dogs at the door? Um, And privacy isn't articulated well, I think. I think a lot of people focus on some of the traditional um, definitions of the right to be left alone, or they look at it as the Europeans do, as a human right, and human rights are very difficult to code. So when you get into the technical protection space, it's very difficult to translate. The way that we think about it um, on an enterprise scale is privacy can be broken down as the authorized processing of personal information. And it's in the authorization where that context of that human right or the right to be left alone or how much monitoring is appropriate in the workplace versus in the bring your device to life space where our phones are coming in and out of the enterprise. So I think the tension exists because I think sometimes it's ill-defined within organizations and, and with our customers even of what it, what is it exactly that we are trying to do with the privacy right. Um, and then I think the other side of it is really it's a communication and a leadership. You know, the privacy function has only been around for about a decade. And so it's fitting itself in, figuring out where it lives, understanding who owns this thing, and then how do you partner with security, which is relatively new in the grand scheme of of kind of leadership. It's only about 30, 35 years old. So you're headed right where I wanted to ask, which is where do you see these tensions in your own organizations and how do you address them? Oh, I just hit Malcolm really hard. And, then it's <laughs> <laughs> and that sometimes works. 
But it, but I think, you know, again, you've got multiple drivers that are, again, to some extent going in different directions from a consumerization, a personalization of my compute environment, you know, advertising, that type of stuff. There's a drive for more and more information about me and my patterns and what I'm doing and how I'm doing it to provide me the capabilities that I might want as a consumer or I might want as an end user in the enterprise. And so that's driving up more attribution information about me. At the same time, from a security perspective, I want to know more about what Malcolm's doing, how he's doing it, when he's doing it, where he's doing it, so that I can use that contextual information to validate that Malcolm is Malcolm. And the more I have that level of information and essentially a compute persona of Malcolm to help me detect unusual patterns to see if somebody's taken Malcolm's credentials, Again, that, that just goes against the grain of what would be less attribution and less specifics, can again, a less, uh, less of a footprint about Malcolm's compute behaviors, which is what privacy would kind of want. Yeah, and I think some of this tension is, I think there's a lot of science fiction beliefs around what security is and how, you know, what is the role of Big Brother and what can Big Brother do. And I think technology is actually coming up and meeting some of these scientific fantasies in the past. So if you look at things like The Matrix and some of these other popularized movies where people are really able to hone in and track people, well, there are more tracking technologies and they are available. Um, the decision-making and the ethics around using these tools is still evolving. And I think that's where some of this tension really is kind of we want to get more proactive with our protection. We want to make sure that only the authorized parties are both actively processing information from an internal perspective, but also from our own perspective as, as employees and as customers and as citizens, we want to make sure that we understand there's a certain level of transparency that needs to evolve. And I think some of this tension is relieved by not fighting between the privacy and the security functions, but really joining forces and bringing awareness to the top level, the, the controlling product managers and the C-level suite of people understanding where the economic drivers that are based on information flows and do you have their buy-in. And once you do, you can create a greater transparency and responsibility for the information. And so it becomes, instead of this, this um, kind of fight between two similar kissing cousin type of disciplines, it turns into this really dynamic energy where the whole organization starts to respect information and has a much better kind of tangible to-do list so that you can move forward instead of just moving side to side with tension. So given recent incidents that we've seen a number of breaches of the and, and even the DDoS attacks we spoke about before we got on this this call. Legislative trends, particularly in other regions, we're seeing privacy legislation. Where do the two of you see security and privacy intersecting further as we get into the new year? I think it's just going to continue to grow, those intersections. And, again, with the incident trends, that will continue to fuel it, as well as the legislative trends. Um, because, again, on the legislative side, there's both cybersecurity legislation that is making its way in, in different forms, as well as increased privacy legislation. And, and I think, in some cases, some of those agendas might create tension even at the legislative level about what's the appropriate level of privacy protection, let's say, in an information sharing bill. 
And so I think, you know, we've seen those tensions in the last round of that type of stuff, and I do imagine that that will continue until, again, we could get to some appropriate balance point between the security and the privacy when it comes to the legislative agendas. Yeah, and we're going to see more and more activity, as Malcolm says. I mean, we're seeing this from across the globe. I mean, some of the loudest regions are, are Europe, but also some very interesting developments happening in places like South Korea and Hong Kong. And Australia recently updated its privacy legislation that's had for many, many years. So I think there's going to be a lot of activity, uh, um, and I think a lot of opportunity here for a lot more voices to come and educate legislators about what the technology actually does what the technology actually doesn't do, and have more and more consumers who have been more on the neutral side or the quiet side to say, this is really how I want to use my phone, or this is really how I want to travel safely. Or, and there's, there's a, other dialogues that I think need to happen. It takes a long time for a piece of legislation to make its way through the process. And by the time it comes out, we have a whole new host of means of computing and I think that that is going to continue to happen as well as the embedded device really gets deeper and deeper into most of our environments. It's not it's no longer a laptop or even a tablet anymore. It really is embedded in your lifestyle and, and how you're going to compute. Well, you raise a good point, Michelle, because we're all carrying around our smartphones now, and I know at Intel especially they've been advocates of the BYO trend. How does mobility um, sort of add fuel to the fire of conversations between privacy and security? I think it it can add fuel to the fire, or you can look at it as a partnership getting to what Michelle talked about, um, because at the end of the day, I think we're trying to do the same thing. We want to protect the end user. We want to protect the information on the phone and what corporate resources they're uh, attempting to connect into. And so I think if you look at them as a security or security versus, um, particularly when you get into cloud bring your own and that type of stuff. It's the wrong mindset. You have to think about it security and privacy. How do I deliver both while allowing that um, mobility and capitalizing on the benefits of mobility in the enterprise? Yeah, I, I, I echo Malcolm's sentiments entirely. I think, you know, I, I always, instead of saying bring your device to work, I think of it as bring your device to life because, um, you know, the photos I take, or the voice messages from my kids while I'm on the road on the same device that I'm using for my work environment are, are really important to me as a, as a human being, right? So that's that's something I, I hold dear and I and I hold some ownership interest in. At the same time, I use that same device and I don't want to import any risk into my enterprise or have a lot of people able to export a lot of intellectual property outside of the environment. So we, we really think about this in, in terms of how are we developing the, the backplane of information, if you will, and say the device is one thing, but how do we actually plan to capture, gather, monitor, and discard information throughout its life cycle? Again, from a privacy perspective, the name of the game is authorized processing of personal, personal information. So how long, where, and what context? I think that gets us deeper and deeper into this mobility space. And these things that we're learning on the mobile phones and the smart devices are just the beginning because you're going to start to see smarter and smarter doctor's offices. You're seeing pilots now of really interactive gaming happening in the educational environment from K to 12. There's going to be rather intimate information chains going on in those environments. How much belongs to the student and the parent? How much belongs to the school system? How much is publicly reported for a no child left behind type of a, a schema? So these these 
fundamental questions that we're testing right now with a mobile phone are just the beginning of this dialogue. So for organizations such as yours, which is serving both corporate and consumer customers, what are the new skills your organizations are going to need to develop to meet the demands, the mobile and the cloud demands and others of 2013? So so I'll, I'll dig in here because I think um, – I think it's it's something that I've I've thought about and, and actually one of the things that drew me to joining the the McAfee Intel combination I came after the combination that already happened. Um, I I spent a lot of time in schools educating really young kids K to 12 uh, kids on cyber awareness cyber safety and their privacy rights and responsibilities um, and things like cyberbullying for example. I think the newly skilled worker um, is going to have to have a multidisciplinary approach. I don't think anymore we can so specialized as just technologists, just ethicists, just lawyers. We really want to see people who have at least an interest and a base level competency so that they know how to ask the person who's really deep diving into that area how to face challenges. So when I'm collecting a lot of information and I'm a technology person, I have to be thinking in the back of my mind that this is a life cycle decision. How do I get rid of bad data if that happens? What happens if this information is tainted? It's no longer that I can just build a, a PC, hand it off, and, and it's done. You, you have a connection to this information for a long period of time. So I think this multidisciplinary trend and the rise of the privacy engineer themselves, knowing how to build in lifecycle protections step-by-step step through the process, is going to be an absolutely huge, hot new trend for um, computer scientists in particular. Yeah, I completely agree with with Michelle uh, in terms of the multidisciplinary aspect of it. And in the book that I've just written, I kind of describe the skills as Z-shaped individuals. Um, we've, we've heard about T-shaped individuals in the IT area where they have a technical depth and a business breadth. Um, and I think in, in the information risk space, you know, spanning security and privacy, you need to have a level of the business acumen that spans uh, the business that you're supporting, a level of technical breadth that spans mobility, data center, cloud, enterprise applications, mobile apps, um, and a level of security and privacy acumen that spans, again, the risk awareness as well as the compliance aspects of it as kind of the connective tissue between your technical breadth and your business breadth in order to shape the risk dialogues appropriately and ensure the compliance of the organization um, to the appropriate laws. Tough skill set to find, Malcolm. How are you going to do that? Is it going to have to take development internally? It, I think it, it definitely takes development internally. I think you have to rotate people between roles. And within my organization, we actively rotate people between roles, both at a individual contributor level as well as a senior level. Um, and, you know, take somebody from the security side, move them into the privacy organization. Take somebody from the privacy side, move them into security. Take somebody who's done um, uh, operational work and move them into the risk management function. Take folks that have a business background to understand the business processes of the company and have them take on some more technical roles. And I think that um, experiences in the different roles will develop the acumen, which means it takes time. Is it the same type of rotation within McAfee, or do you have a, a different culture, Michelle? 
Well, I think I think people kind of self-rotate here. I think there's 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 some. I certainly in my own career, I I have wandered extensively <laughs> across the enterprise, um, and I and I I have always gained such valuable insight. I even did sales for a year after um, Sun Microsystems was purchased by Oracle. I actually went in and helped stand up their privacy and security sales organization, and I, it was a huge kind of personal and professional risk for me to go from internal governance to sales. I mean, you're you're really literally on the tip of the spear. Um, and I think gaining that discipline and understanding where they are and what they need to know and how they, how they learn. You know, there's always a frustration that they, that salespeople never take your compliance training. Well, now I know why, because it's planes, trains, and automobile. If you don't have an app for that, it's not happening. So I think just understanding how people operate, what their, what their pain points are, how they're rewarded, the rotation model has so much to offer the new enterprise that's going to have to be nimble. And then I think the other thing that is, really important is creating this kind of sense of entrepreneurship within organizations. We certainly have that here at McAfee and Spades, looking at the 10K report, which now is the Intel report, um, because we're wholly owned and we don't we don't publicly separately report anymore. So really making sure everyone on my team of my projects have read the 10K, it says very loudly what our policy positions are. Here's where we're going. Here's where we're investing. Here's where we think the market is. Um, and understanding that and being an articulate in that helps you be a much better partner with the, the business people with, with whom you interact. And then giving those business people a little more ownership in having um, – kind of a, 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 a series of notes that they can play in the symphony, if you will. So I don't ever walk in and say, this is what your consent mechanism looks like. This is how long you're going to keep the data. It's always the sense of let's do an impact assessment and risk assessment. And then half of risk, and, and really the reason of risk in, in a commercial enterprise, is leaning into opportunity. So don't take a risk if it's just going to cause you more risk. You, you, you take a risk because it does bring and drive New opportunity, new advancement, or an efficiency, or some there's a there's a positive business aspect to it. So when when you really lean into that, you find so many opportunities to elevate this discussion to be so much more about um, protecting that information as a fundamental asset. Now it's clear you two know each other well. You're well aligned on topics and agree on a lot. Michelle, where do you disagree with Malcolm? Too much facial hair. <laughs> um, yeah, my goatee, huh? <laughs> no, I like your goatee. Um, let's see, where do we disagree? I think where it's tough is things like employee monitoring can be a challenge. I think we happen to come down in, in the same place, Malcolm and I, um, but in the past definitely I've, I've run into organizations where they really believe that more is always better and piloting things without telling employees that they're piloting things have been suggestions that they've made. Um, you know, and so for those kinds of suggestions, whenever I'm confronted with one of those, I say, that's great. Let's start with a C-suite. So if you're going to do clickstream um, capture and monitoring of phones, let's make sure you're doing it to the CEO. And if you're, if you think that that's too risky, then it's probably not something that's good for, that's going to scale across the organization. So, you know, I think that's where sometimes there's there's more tension than not is where there's a, there's there's always this question mark place of how much is too much, and 
can we have one efficient network versus a series to meet these different legal needs? It's, it's always challenging for anyone who's trained as a lawyer. You know, I have separate ethical responsibilities to the bar as well as to my organization. I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm actively espousing not following a law, and yet in privacy in particular, where you're doing business in 90 different countries, you're always espousing a position that's either gray area or really, really on the edge of some jurisdictional law. So I think that's where some of these tensions come in. Yeah, I'm being I'm being fudgy because I really don't disagree with Malcolm on too many things because we, we have a good way of resolving those things as they occur. And I think it's because we focus on how to work through the differences and focusing on how to do something versus getting caught in a more esoteric dialogue Mm -hmm. that's more philosophically based has allowed us to focus in on where the tension point is, wrestle through it, and then come to agreement and move forward. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't think anyone likes to be surprised. And so I think where where anyone is concerned doing something that's different from the norm, um, picking up the phone quickly and often is, is the best way to do that. Well, it brings me to my last question, which is what advice do you offer to your peers? Organizations just like yours are dealing with the same security and privacy tensions. What can they do to work better and more effectively? Get to know each other, establish trust be completely transparent with each other and figure out where the real tension point is and then figure out how to get through it. That is, that's the keystone. And, and, and assume integrity. Assume that your colleague has the best interests of the organization and, and you really in, in mind. I think that's, you know, to start with that assumption is really important because things happen really fast and, and you may not have the opportunity to be as transparent or bring someone into a meeting or you catch a subpoena from someone and you're already asking a couple forensic people to go down the line before you've had a chance to pick up the phone. I mean, there's so many opportunities to fall down on this. I think what I would offer to my peers in privacy is I'm I'm very worried about the privacy profession, quite honestly. And, And the reason is I think we are so focused on being more and more lawyers. And I think some of the most talented CPOs don't have a legal training. It is very helpful to be a lawyer. It's a very confusing and fast-paced legal environment. It's very helpful to understand civil law versus common law and that sort of thing, for sure. However, I think if you think for a minute that you're going to be able to contract your way out of this or have enough kind of paper processes and documentation your way out of this, um, you're going to continue to be very, very frustrated. And I think some of this comes from a fear. You know, a lot of people that go to law school really – they're, they're more verbal than math, if you will. That's, that's not true for everyone at all. I'm making a vast overgeneralization. But a lot of people fear technology. And I think it's especially once you become quite senior, walking into an environment where you know nothing is a risk. And I think particularly in the privacy profession, we need to take those risks and we need to get down and dirty with the technology doesn't mean you're going to have to sling code and come up with your own apps on your own, but you do have to be conversant in what are the variants in encryption, what, what is the various huge diversity in stacks of IDM stacks, for example, for identity management and role-based access. What are the limits of keystroke logging? You have to really continue to, to educate yourself and have that dialogue. And, and I could go on for a long time about that because I think this is where if the CPO profession is going to sustain itself and exist and continue to add value, we need to really stretch ourselves a bit. 
I think Michelle's spot on. I think in on the security side, it's it's a similar level of education. You can't just apply from a technical skill set. You can't just apply with looking at the ultimate aspects of protecting the system or the data on the system, regardless of what it means that you're going to be doing to other things. So that, that level of kind of broader risk awareness, getting a level of acumen on, on again, the privacy philosophies, the privacy legislative requirements, and then, again, kind of figuring out, working together, how you do both. Because I do think it is not a security versus privacy, and I think if you've got both people that are willing to learn, are willing to walk in each other's shoes to some extent, um, you will figure out that it is security and privacy, and it is tough to reconcile them, but not impossible. And, you know, the challenge of bringing the two together to do both appropriately is a worthy challenge to figure out, and hopefully that that worthiness of, of them coming together will cause both sets of organizations and individuals to recognize that that partnership, together they're stronger than divided, uh, they'll actually generate more risk um, for their organization and both accomplish a lot less. Yeah, and it's fun. I I think that's the thing that I I definitely want to emphasize is that it's it's not always this this great tension thing. This is a fascinating, fascinating area. You know, information is the great GDP generator of the future. There's no doubt. We're not going back. There's going to be more and more and more information available, how we manage it, how we want to manage it, what we devise and invent to manage it is just going to get more and more exciting and interesting and cutting edge in the future. So I think leaning in is an investment well made just for yourself too and just to have, you know, a really fun career as well as a fulfilling and a financially fulfilling one as well. Very good. Michelle Malcolm, thank you so much for your time and your insights today. Thank you. Thanks. We've been talking about security and privacy. I've been talking with Michelle Dennity, Chief Privacy Officer with McAfee, and Malcolm Harkins, Chief Information Security Officer with Intel. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.